Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Outsource Podcast. I'm joined again, as usual, by Yash and Jonathan. And uh, it has been a while, I know, since our last recording. Uh, definitely not intentionally so. But uh, I personally have uh, uh, been busier than I, I was previously. And, you know, Yash and Jonathan are always busy. So we we have, uh, you know, we've worked hard to clear our schedules to get this recording done. So uh, our topic this week is going to be maybe a bit more speculative, a bit more fun than usual. As the answer, or rather the question that we are going to try to answer is... Uh, going to be sort of ab- as abstract as uh, what is going to happen to us. Um, and so we're going to talk about uh, the future in this podcast episode and uh, focus more on sort of uh, technology and artificial intelligence um, as uh, with its, its great potential to very much change the society and the way that we live. Um, as well as uh, space travel and space exploration being maybe sort of more of a possibility um, with every coming day uh, as it sort of materializes faster than uh, anyone could really uh, expect. Um, And so sort of what we want to accomplish with this discussion and this recording is firstly in part to sort of discuss um, the implications for society um, with technology and 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 with this vastly changing um, you know and, and how and how it, as quickly as it's changing that might also have uh, more serious implications for our society than uh, we might at first assume. And also secondly, to sort of set up a conversation on conservation and the environment, which will come in the future at some point um, that I'm, you know, I'm not going to promise that now. Uh, so again, going to be more of a speculative episode, going to be more of one where we sort of toss out ideas, and the point will be not necessarily to nail all the facts or to be prophets, um, but rather to consider, you know, what is reasonable, and uh, and and that will really the, be the point of discussion of, you know, is is what we're saying actually reasonable, um, and if it is, then it's then the implications that we consider will be worth considering. At this point in time, if I could, you know, have you guys chime in and at least give me maybe a, your short or brief impression of maybe just like where you see society going, how you feel about technology, and it's, you know, how quickly it's changing, just something along those lines um, before we get into the, the topic proper. Yeah, first of all, I think this topic is going to be an extremely interesting topic as we dissect it and examine it. But before we begin, I think that technology essentially is 
is going to pave the way for us as we progress into the future. And we have technology pretty much everywhere in our lives now. Uh, in every field, you're using technology. But more specifically, um, we have the rapid uh, development of AI, uh, artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, you, you can look at it as, as a boon or a bane. And different people are going to have different opinions on it. But personally, I feel that we, as a, as a society, need to make the best of this sort of invention or sort of um, concept and harness it such that we can progress at a much greater rate than we might have thought. That's it for me. I think for me, um, looking at technology and looking at the future, uh, it's just quite obvious, right, that whoever or <clears throat> whatever entity um, can outpace the competition in terms of tech or AI is just going to absolutely dominate the, the other. Um, this is obvious from seeing, you know, throughout history, the advent of military warfare, um, the invention of the printing press. So going forward, the amount that technology has advanced in the past 20 years, so 2021, 20, where we are now compared to 2001, is just crazy. Um, crazy and, you know, consumer application, like we have smartphones, but even more crazy in terms of the industry application. Um, and we don't see it slowing down. Really, we don't. Um, so I think whatever we're gonna say in this episode, speculating in this episode, it may seem far off, it may seem, you know, crazy, uh, but we're not really thinking in, you know, what's the next three years or five years. Um, and even if we are, it's, you know, what can happen in that time can be completely different than what we're seeing right now. Um, so there's a lot of room for speculation. There's a lot of room for kind of just guessing what is going to be there. Uh, because really at this point, technology, AI, and the amount of effort, the amount of resources and money that is being pumped into this kind of uh, development uh, is just crazy. So not really certain of what we're going to look at in, in the future, just that it's going to be if, if you're going to focus on anything in your life, this has to be on the radar, no doubt. All right. Yeah, I definitely agree with, you know, what points you've brought up so far. Um, and so having sort of framed the discussion and, you know, sort of our thoughts going in, uh, let's sort of jump right in. So, you know, so I, I was thinking about the subject and sort of considering um, where to where to start, right? A discussion of the future, because you know, where where do you really start a a you know like a, a speculation of, of what's going to happen in the future, right? Because truly, like the the possibilities are, are sort of endless and infinite, right? Um, but when I was thinking about it in sort of retrospect, right, we sort of have this 
idea of the the science fiction of or rather in, in general at least there's this perspective of science fiction as being you know spectacular um, or being ex you know sort of the extremes of what the imagination can offer in terms of you know how how uh, you know how different from our sort of normal reality things like uh, you know Star Wars or or Blade Runner or you know any any of these common sci-fi storylines or, or themes or concepts how different they are from the current reality that we experience but in, you know if you look to the 20th century um, and we kind of look at it historically um, there's a there's also a lot of uh, sort of literary discourse of, of people looking at um, authors like you know H.G. Wells uh, maybe Orwell and asking questions like like oh how did these people uh, how, so accurately describe um, future the like the future so far ahead of uh, uh, the reality that they were experiencing at the time in in terms of predicting things like uh, you know rockets space flight um, going to the moon uh, computers robots artificial intelligence like these people uh, um, the the way that we we perceive science fiction is sort of non not consistent. It's inconsistent because we simultaneously say things like, "Oh, um, these writers have you know such uh, extreme imaginations and create these extreme storylines," and then simultaneously say, we say like we we look back and we say like, "Oh wow, like it it, it just coincidentally happened to be so accurate to describing a reality." Um, and I think that. Um, we shouldn't make the assumption that fiction is, you know, very diff different from reality, uh, because of um, a few factors which sort of allow science fiction, in particular, to um, uh, come closer to reality than we might assume initially, right? Because, uh, firstly, um, there is a limit of imagination. Right, so if, if an author is sitting down and he's considering, you know, what are what are the limits of um, what, you know, like what is like the most extreme uh, reality that humanity could uh, progress into within the next, you know, century, within the next few decades. Um, and 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 when the author sits down and he has this kind of thought process to to to, you know think up a, a new version of reality um, the limits of his imagination are going to be very similar to the limits of imagination of you know the the engineers and the inventors uh, and uh, the the rich and the powerful the people who really influence where society goes right so when the author sits down and he says you know going into the future this is what society can be like at the same time so does the politician and, and the inventor and 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 so, you know, obviously I'm not saying that they're all going to have the same ideas, but it is also to some extent a, a sort of a feedback loop of where, of where, you know, people look at the ideas that the, the science fiction authors produce and they say, you know, that's a good idea, let's work towards that. Or, you know, vice versa, the, the, the writers and the authors are, are considering reality in such a way of, 
of you know this is what com humanity has achieved so far it is logical to conclude that you know this is where we might be in in decades or in a century right and so you know it's not as complex or as novel a thought process as i say, as i think that you know people sort of assume um there is a sort of rational limit to what we can imagine humanity to sort of evolve or or achieve into um because you know even if humanity the the only risk is that humanity evolves faster than the most that we can imagine right um but but it's you know obviously that's it's far less likely than um you know than humanity progressing slower than what we can imagine or maybe at the same pace of of what we can possibly imagine um but we also you know this is what i'm saying sort of making sense at this point yeah definitely um i know that within liberal circles uh specifically the the kind of feedback loop that you're describing i think is very very explicit in those uh in that kind of field of thought um and i know that because a lot of these liberal thinkers um, would cite these speculative fiction authors like Ursula Le Guin or Octavia Butler. Um, and, you know, these these are works of fiction, right? These are works of fiction that were written mostly in the late 20th century. Um, just pure speculative fiction. But then they would have these ideas, these, you know, structures for society. Um, and organizers right now would they would say that, well, this is the basis, you know, like, this is what we're trying to work for. And this is what we're trying to work towards. Um, so I think that, you know, what you're saying is absolutely true, that you have this kind of feedback loop between the world building of fiction writers, and the world building of, you know, pe people trying to alter the, the physical world. Um, and it's just kind of like, the minute that the physical world catches up to the speculative world, the speculative the speculative world is already thinking ahead, right? It's already speculating because in terms of resources and energy, like it's just a matter of you thinking it up, right? You like you don't have to devote resources and time to actually implement or actually create the world in your fiction. Yeah, um, thank you so much for, you know, that, uh, pointing that out. That's a great point. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about, actually. You know, the use of, of science fiction in uh, sort of political discourse. Um, uh, and, and, you know, at this point, you, you as a listener might be asking, you know, why are we talking so much about fiction? If, if the point is to sort of talk about, you know, reality instead. Uh, but if, if the point that we're trying to establish here is that you know fiction science fiction in particular may be a, um, a, a far better way of um, predicting what is going to happen in the future for humanity than people might assume then that does have sort of far-reaching implications because science fiction um, as we are familiar with it and as we know it right you know it has all of these you know really cool and, and fantastic and um, like sort of romantic ideas of 
you know things that we 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 really like to you know that that actually you know people really enjoy to to think about or considering you know things like you know being able to fly to to you know through space or to different planets um this idea of you know like artificial intelligence um really contributing to society in a in a very tangible and active way um all of these ideas are stuff that we think is really cool right but if we're saying that science fiction could be you know a picture of where society is headed then we also need to consider sort of the brutal realities of sci-fi we need to acknowledge that science fiction is oftentimes a nightmare just as much as it is a dream right and and if we think about a lot of the themes of science fiction um especially within the last few decades right and we consider um you know like what comes to mind for me recently just sort of because of what i i've been looking at is like the you know like the the metal city of final fantasy 7 where there is a, a a a you know there is this really beautiful city on top of a metal disc right and there are not you know there's these skyscrapers and it's a this beautiful city where you know all of the where people live in in luxury and and pleasure and they they're all benefiting from from the developments of technology that humanity has produced but then this metal disc actually has two layers right there's the there's the the top layer that you know faces up towards the sky and ha- you know has these palaces that reach up into the sky but there's also this second layer that lives underneath that right there's there's the the layer underneath the metal disc of where these people live underneath a metal ceiling for their entire lives right and and this is where this is where everyone else is you know everyone who isn't rich this is where the poor live you know this is where crime runs rampant through the city you know where where um you know people there you know there is there's a literal metal ceiling but it is also a figurative ceiling because the the people who are you know the people who live in 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 the second layer of the city you know it's an underworld they are unable to to you know sur- uh surpass both the physical and and the uh you know the fi- both the physical and the um what's the word i'm looking for like the the physical and the metaphysical uh limits that have been ascribed for them within their society because you know the rich are exploiting the populace um and and there's this huge gap between the poor and the rich and and when we take this concept and we see how often we see it in science fiction you know in 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 settings like a uh, blade runner right in settings like cyberpunk 2077 right in settings like star wars we see this recurring theme over and over again of these you know these these worlds where the rich have this amazing amount of luxury and technology and they have benefited so much from the progress of humanity but it has been at the expense of the general populace and the general populace has been pushed down into the underworld down into a a version of reality which is far worse than what they might have experienced before because these this progress this of of humanity the you know the the space flight and the artificial intelligence 
it has all been acquired at the expense of the average person for the benefit of the rich and the powerful. And, you know, again, this is fiction, right? This is not real. And yet at the same time, all of these fictional places have also been created to say something about the reality that we live in now right it's a, it's about the future it's about a different world but it's also supposed to be about our world now right and if we consider how close to reality we already understand that dynamic to be then we should also understand that as humanity progresses towards this new age of technology and artificial intelligence and spaceflight that this might actually be the reality we are signing ourselves up for. That this might actually be far more real than anyone is actually considering at this point in time. What do you guys think about that so far? Yash, any thoughts? Um, so you're essentially saying that um sort of whatever um, differences exist within our realm right now is only going to be pronounced even more in the future when we have all these new sort of technological advancements, right? I, I personally think that is definitely the case and I 100% agree with you because I think you put it really nicely when you said that um, you said something along the lines of if all these new things that have um, all these um, advancements that have been obtained have been procured through the uh, uh, expense of the general populace. And I definitely think um, that could very well be the case. But what do you think about it, John? Do you, do you agree with it as well? Yeah, I think that you have this reflection, it's like a double reflection, right? That that speculative fiction or sci-fi reflects um, the present time right now. And that the future, in a sense, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the future will somehow reflect what is being described in science fiction. Um, but I think that what really interests me is that you know, like in sci-fi, like Star Wars or um, Blade Runner or Cyberpunk, the sci-fi elements, the speculative elements um, are really like spectacular, right? They are colorful, they are eye-popping, they are unique. Um, things that we right now, or even people 20, 30 years ago, uh, would not describe as like normal. It's not you know, commonplace. But I think that that's the way that technology or, or you know, this science is going to progress is that we're going to go towards that kind of trajectory, but it's not going to be as spectacular outward facing. It's going to be more technical. And this is the thing that people really don't understand about sci-fi or they don't really... 
um, grasp the importance of it. Because as much as in the media, you know, media is portrayed to be spectacular because they're selling you a story, right? But as much as it will be spectacular, there's an underlying, you know, technology, there's an underlying um, basis of the you know, framing for society, right? Like how Caleb was describing um, the extreme polarization of, of capitalism, right? And elitism um, and classism. And it's not going to, you know, like when we say like Final Fantasy VII, you know, like, okay, is there going to be like a physical metal sheet, you know, like a metal disc? Maybe not. But it's not, you know, the, the society that we're moving towards is not going to necessarily look like that, like a metal disc. Like it's not going to be something so spectacular. But that kind of ceiling, that kind of... Um, classism it's going to appear more normal it's going to appear more like commonplace like this is just how it's supposed to be as opposed to oh, this giant floating disc in the sky so i think that to, to kind of sum it up the importance of sci-fi right is it's a reflection of the past it's going to kind of reflect what the future is but when we're looking at sci-fi, it's not only to look at what these like crazy spectacular things are, but also to try to imagine how it's going to fit within our reality. So if um, scientists and politicians and people in power are reading the speculative fiction, reading science fiction, they're thinking of new ideas, new ways of approaching problems. You know, it's not going to look like an X-Wing from like Star Wars, right? Like space, space travel. It's probably not going to look like that, right? But maybe the ideas, the technical basis of what those things are based upon or what they're trying to infer, those are the things that will be used and will be adopted. And so for the general public, you know, people are like saying, oh, well, back to the future, we don't have flying cars or whatever. Um, and that's true, but that specific point, like the flying cars or the aesthetics, the optics, that thing is the thing that's probably not going to port over. If anything, the thing that's going to port over is this underlying framework or the underlying um, inferences in how to approach problems. So you have like mass population, right? Overpopulation. How do you address that? Right. It's not it won't look like, um, you know, like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World where you have these weird, you know, like genetic kind of modification. It's not going to look like that. But you can see right now in society how slowly, slowly there are things that are happening, um, the things that the elite are doing that affects the genetics of people who are, you know, not in the privileged state as they are. And so it may not look in the same way that these science fiction, you know, would describe it spectacular or outrageous, but it's happening nonetheless. And unless you, you know, understand that it's not going to optically look the same way, then science fiction will just be like a hobby for you. 
you know, it's, it's just going to be, oh, that's the thing that you, you know, go see at the movies or talk about on a forum, but then don't think about in the back of your mind when that's actually not the case. So I think you've made some excellent points there. And, um, and I think you've really taken a step in the right direction because um, I think sort of it's very difficult to go from these very sort of abstract or fantastic ideas of science fiction and to relate that directly to you know the real world to true reality of you know what will the world actually look like right so um, I thought of a sort of very reasonable way that we could go around doing this of trying to reduce this abstraction is just sort of looking at you know some of these uh, sort of you know these mainstays of technology which exists as uh, in, in both science fiction and uh, sort of how we understand technology today in the real world, um, you know, sort of what we focus on and what the media focuses on as being um, the, the real technological advancements to, to look out for. And we just sort of consider um, what implications that these have for, um, for us, um, because I think there is a tendency to, to just assume that, you know, because they're cool and they must be all good. Right, like, like you know, because AI is cool, and because you know your Tesla can drive itself, and because you know whatever, like just because all this technology is 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 um, is being created and developed, um, and because we can imagine all of the good that it can do for our society, I think there is a tendency to assume that they must be all good. But I think that I think that if we sort of take a reasonable look at. Um, at these things and and we consider their implications and what they can do to society if we aren't sort of careful um, I think we, we we might end up seeing that it's actually far more reasonable to to look at what society is doing now and ending up at a place like these sort of science fiction um, settings and it sounds really extreme when we talk about it now but uh you know, let's let's just start discussing and, and see sort of what happens. Um, so uh, I think the first one to talk about is is artificial intelligence. Um, uh, just because it's sort of the one that everyone is sort of talking about and thinking about now. Um, and uh, in terms of what in terms of what we expect from artificial intelligence right um, I mean like it's it's cool and all right it's cool if things can do stuff by itself without human control and interaction right um but I really wanted to talk more about the true implications, right? What is going to happen to the labor force when robots can do the jobs that humans normally do? Um, questions like this that I know already get asked and sort of already get answered, but I really don't think that people are really considering the true implications. Um, maybe because they simply cannot imagine what it's going to be like because it would be so different from 
what we have now, right? Um, what, what, what do you guys think? Um, personally, I feel like the current zeitgeist around um, artificial intelligence is, I mean, I mean, it's being viewed as a sort of nascent um, development. It's, it, I mean, it's been there, it's been around, it's been spoken about for a while now. But in this day and age, I feel like it's, it's still being viewed as something that is just beginning to bloom, beginning to um, um, gain momentum. And, you know, like you said, Teslas can drive by themselves. Um, and, you know, with that being said, I think more and more people are, are more aware of what the implications of AI, artificial intelligence are. Now, with regards to what's going to happen to the labor force in the future, once we have, you know, our AI, I feel like most people do not consider implications of that because as of now, they are more focused on how it can benefit them and the positive aspects of AI rather than how it could potentially affect them negatively. And like I said early on in the beginning, you know, we have AI everywhere. It's, it's there and uh, even in the field of medicine, we have um, those robotic uh, surgical equipment that is being used right now and in the future for all you know you're going to have robotic surgeons performing surgery which would result in uh, you know your, um, your 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 human surgeons being put out of their jobs of course you can argue that you know at the end of the day you're still going to need some form of um, moderation and this moderation is going to be carried out by human beings but what is there to say that, you know, if, if you can come up with a sort of, a, a sort of um, you know, a robot or an intelligence that is conscious enough or, or that has the consciousness to do, um, to carry out actions, what, what, what makes you think that um, they're not going to be able to sort of moderate themselves? Because uh, I think, uh, you know, once we have artificial intelligence, it's very likely they're going to have their own hierarchies. You know, you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have like a team of robots with a robot leader and um, so on and so forth. That is sort of my, my initial thoughts on AI and the future of AI and its implications. But I'm um, quite interested to hear what John has to say about this. I think most of my thoughts around AI um, well, first kind of goes back to uh, how I was talking about how in the future science is not going to be the spectacular thing that that is portrayed in the movies and I think that in the movies um, in the media a lot or at least you know the general public's uh, introduction to AI has been through things like, you know, C-3PO or R2-D2. Um, things that are kind of humanoid uh, that imitate human thought, imitate human uh, 
knowledge in a sense, um, speak like humans, but this kind of image portrayal of robots is kind of the opposite of where we're going in terms of developing that technology. And realistically, if we get to that point, what it's going to, how it's going to look. Um, and the foremost thing on my mind is supercomputers. Um, because you have things like, okay, like the discussion was about the labor force and how AI might, you know, eradicate certain areas of the labor force. But I think going even further than that, the biggest race right now between countries is who can create this super, who can create the most um, powerful and efficient supercomputer and then who can practically use right, have practical applications, weaponize it. Um, and that's really where AI is going. You know, we have like self-driving cars or, you know, like smart refrigerators that tell you like when, when your milk is being spoiled. Um, but all of that stuff is kind of just like fluff in terms of the real discussion of AI. Um, because all of those things are, you know, those are all examples of like weak AI, like single use AI. But what the discussion around AI is really going towards is that complex AI, the, the AI that, you know, is portrayed in the movies as like, okay, this is a thing that's like running society, right? So we're going from like a Tesla being able to recognize visually certain objects and avoid them or stop signs and stuff like that to how do we efficiently, how, how do we set interest rates if we have a 30, 50, 100 year plan? Who sets that plan in the first place, right? It's in, in theory, it's not gonna be people who are making those plans. You're gonna have an AI create a projection of that plan. But and then, you know, people are going to approve of it, but then you say, well, people are going to approve of it, but they don't have the capacity that a computer does in order to um, understand and process and analyze all of that data. So I, I agree with Yash that, you know, people are looking at, you know, the benefits of AI. They look at Star Wars, they look at, you know, these commercials um, and cartoons of like AI uh, helping you like Jarvis in, in the, in the Marvel movies, you know, like you got Iron Man creating these 3d models out of nothing. Right. But all of that is just kind of like fluff. It's fluff in comparison to the real discussion of AI, um, and the application that it has, because whatever country or group, um, is able to effectively weaponize uh, strong intelligence, right? Strong artificial intelligence. That's when we have um, these dystopian kind of societies because it's almost it's it's almost like in terms of weapons. The United States creating the nuclear bomb, right? And if we were using the nuclear bomb. Um, 
in actual warfare, that's miles ahead from like a tank, right? But the distance between us creating a nuclear bomb and another, uh, another country creating a nuclear bomb was a matter of half a decade, a decade. But in terms of AI, whoever achieves, whoever is able to weaponize the strong AI, they're going to be like centuries ahead because the possibility, the, the application of that kind of system, of that kind of intelligence is just going to far outcompete everything else that everyone has. Um, and in my personal view, this is not something that's going to happen in like 200, 300 years. My personal view is probably going to happen within the next hundred years. But are people kind of preparing for that? No. Are people looking at the signs, um, the current signs right now that are inferring that kind of future? No. And that's where the kind of detriment of like people's fixation with AI comes comes into play. Because people look at AI and they think, oh, you know, I want a smart computer. I want my smartphone to, I don't know, like generate recipes or, or something, right? But it's like those kind of applications are not only a facade for what is was the real thing. It's it's almost like a distraction. Because if you're if you have the general public looking at like, ooh, self-driving car, cool, then they're not focusing on the semiconductors. They're not focusing on the way that people are conditioned to use to rely on servers that they don't own in their in their homes, right? Which is the real war, which is the real kind of discussion, the real trajectory that AI is moving towards, um, as opposed to, you know, smart refrigerators, smart toasters, those kind of things. Yeah, so um, Jonathan has kind of just completely skipped over my initial discussion of, of the more practical aspects of artificial intelligence, and we've sort of opened up this Pandora's box of you know, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to just no, 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 like, skip over the whole thing. No, no. I, mean, I, I think we'll get back to it later. Um, it's it's completely fine. Uh, and you know, you make a, an excellent point of of um, you you know sort of what might happen when when you have this incredible computational power to apply to problems and questions such as you know how do we go to war with this country? How do we manage our society? You know a hundred years into the future right and and the implications are just you know immediately tremendously larger than sort of the the AI in the in the workplace or in the the human sense right where we are now considering AI make you know doing and accomplishing things which are in fact so far out of reach for humans to just do by themselves um and you know in in terms of the use of artificial intelligence in war right i i, I just i think that it will just it will really um 
what would happen if artificial intelligence was applied to war would really just depend on the parameters given to the AI to compute what is success and what is not success in the terms of war. Because, you know, if, if, if what you tell the computer is that you want to absolutely destroy and obliterate another country, then that would be a very easy computation for the computer to to for the for the AI to to compute, right? It's like you know you 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 take all of the steps to first, you know. I, I imagine that it would sort of be a almost textbook strategy of taking out key installations, communications, weapons plants, you know, all of this, and then you continue to to devastate the the country at large. Right, but if the parameters you are giving to the computer is something like how do we take over a country with no loss of life, if you're asking the computer to do these far more difficult computations that are really what is most difficult for human society to consider and to understand, we make, you know, we could just sort of simultaneously come to come to the point where, you know, sort of artificial intelligence leads to lasting peace, right? Where the computer is deciding that war is almost never profitable, right? That the loss of life that might occur is always going to be worse than achieving whatever you want by other means, you know, diplomacy or relations or <laughs> bribes, corruption, coercion, you know, all of these things that already happen. Um, you know, we could also come up to, to a reality where sort of everyone has AI and instead of going to war, everyone uses their AI, you know, realizes they're going to lose and then never goes to war. You know, something along those lines. Um, where you have like a Cold War standoff, uh, you know, just like with the atomic bombs that you mentioned. Um, and so that to me just sort of underlines the importance of um, like integrity and leadership. Right. Whereas one thing where, you know, maybe now in twenty twenty one, your 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 country's leaders like are inept, and and they you know they murder lots of people in faraway countries, but maybe you don't necessarily feel that feel the effects of that at home. Um. Um. You know, to some extent, but you know what happens when you put the power of these you know, supercomputer computation ability into the hands of inept leaders, then suddenly you could get, you know, you know the, the catastrophe could be incredible, right? Um, and I think that sort of kind of leads us into um, a point that I wanted to sort of talk about, which is, you know, what happens when the you know corporate elite or the political elite suddenly have control over these aspects which are going to these aspects of the society which are literally going to um, sort of rule uh, all of human society, right? Um, like, what do you do about that if these people are not good people? You know, uh, because you know it's it's. The moment that artificial intelligence begins to take over things like the workforce, right? Suddenly, like, suddenly, 
th- those who own the meat, you know, like the, the the means of production, it's suddenly going to be reduced to just those who have the artificial, those who own the artificial intelligence, right? You know, whoever owns the artificial intelligence is going to own literally the entire workforce, right? And similarly, whoever has control over what the artificial intelligence is used for is going to be, you know, and and, and these people who have control over, these are the people who are going to decide things like, you know, should there be a hundred year plan for humanity? You know, do we optimize humanity to make the country as good as it can be in a in a hundred years, right? And you know, what does that in, entail when that essentially, you know, essentially, you know, in 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 word and speech, you're submitting to the the superior knowledge of the AI, but in reality, you are submitting yourself to sort of an ultimate power invested in these individuals who have control over the AI because you're saying it's okay for you to do whatever you want for me in order to to achieve whatever goals for society or whatever vision for society you're using that AI to achieve right if if there's a hundred year plan for society or even you know even to bring it even more like down to earth if there's a five or there's a ten year plan for society and isn't made up by humans it's made up by an an ai then all of sort of legislation and 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 the control of of the populace all of that is going to modulate around making sure everyone gets as close to that plan as possible right because deviation from the plan is going to uh, uh stop you from reaching your goals right and so it's going you know you get into this this question of what happens to personal freedom when artificial intelligence is a mainstay of human society right if all of the vehicles on the road are driven by artificial intelligence what happens when you want to go somewhere that isn't part of like the plan Right? What happens when you want to, you know, for whatever reason, you you don't want to go to work tomorrow, or you don't want you want to skip class, uh, for the morning. You know, all of these things. I mean, people can say like, "Oh, you're not supposed to do that," but that's not the point, right? You you're still supposed to be able to make these decisions for yourself. I don't know. It, there is so is honestly so much so much to talk about. We could, I'm sure we could spend hours on this, even. One quick thing, um, when you were talking about what really is, um, or an important aspect is the leadership um, of the AI, right? Who who determines who is directing these objectives, these goals, um, and what are people supposed to do about that? Um, we can see a very practical example that's happening right now in Facebook um, and the kind of hot water that they're in regarding fake news. Because all of that news feed, right, and even the moderation to a certain degree, that's all AI. Like, it was all programmed to give you things that you anticipated, wanted to seek out, right? 
And legislatures, people, just common people, are upset because they're saying, oh, well, we should hold these entities accountable, right? Because you should not be spreading fake news. You should not be spreading misinformation. Um, but that goes back to the question of like, this is the AI application that people were wanting. Like the same thing that people are kind of criticizing Facebook over is the same thing that people use to browse new things on YouTube or browse videos on TikTok or use the Instagram discovery feature. So it's not really like people can't have it both ways. People just can't have it and say like, oh, well, quote unquote, fake news. We don't like that. But, you know, TikTok videos, we like that. So let's keep it. It's the exact same technology. So then it comes down to, OK, are you going to how are you going to interact with this? Right. Like, are you going to regulate it? Are you as are you as a government? Right. Or are you as a citizen, you want some policy or something like are you going to advocate for regulating these via the government or are you just gonna you know be here for the ride you you understand that you can't affect anything so you're just going to try to take advantage of it as much as possible without letting them take advantage of you because what we're seeing right now in this scale is what you know, we were kind of talking about the huge, large scale of a five-year plan, financial plan, or warfare tactic, right? Like, it sounds like crazy to, like, say, well, this, you know, machine spit out, this is our strategy for dealing with uh, Iran in the next five years. So, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But that kind of AI, the basis of it, it's not... It's not, you know, far off into the future. And it's just a matter of people being conditioned to accept what the AI generates out because people are already accepting it. You know, like when you, when you're on YouTube, you just see the recommended and you just like click whatever it is. You don't like, or try to argue with YouTube or, or turn off that feature, right? If anything, for a lot of people, that feature is very useful, right? Same as TikTok. Why is TikTok so popular, right? It's not only that it's entertaining, but it learns based off of what you like to watch. And people find that useful. People find that convenient. Without necessarily thinking, well, the more that we are engaging, interacting with AI, the more that we are being allowed ourselves to, to be conditioned, to accept what the AI is giving us without a lot of questions. So when we get to a point where an AI, let's say you have a business and you're in a small business, you use an AI to try to calculate, okay, these are the kind of sales that you're going to have to have. This is the forecast of the economy. You're going to have to do these things. How much of that are you going to sit down with yourself and analyze versus just, okay, the machine says this, so I'm going to accept it. Because I think, in my opinion, it's a very, very convincing argument to just say, well, you know, the, the 
AI that we developed has all of this data set. It's impossible for a human or a team of humans to fully analyze. We give it X, Y, and Z parameters. But even we give the parameters, we don't fully understand how exactly the AI is coming up with this thing. Because that's the point of, of supercomputing, right? It's beyond human ability to compute. So do we just say, okay, well, AI says this, we're going to do this, right? Or is it going to be, all right, we're going to take some time to analyze it ourselves. But then if you say, well, we're going to analyze ourselves, like people will just say, why are you trying to analyze something that you literally physically cannot analyze? Why don't we just go with the AI? Because that's kind of where we're going in terms of practical application. Like you have these lists that are made by people of like, oh, movie recommendations, whatever, right? But I'm thinking how often do people look for movie recommendations by critics or by friends or whatever uh, versus scrolling on Netflix? You just look at the recommended thing and you just like click whatever that is, right? And that's a form of conditioning um, and interacting with AI that people are not really being aware of that can lead to those decisions, right? Like in the future, those big, huge scale decisions. Just to really quickly add to what John said, um, I completely agree with the points you brought up. And the, just if you think about it, the cognitive processes involved in perceiving processing and understanding information is so complex that I think even a hundred or 200 years down the line for AI to sort of emulate it, it's going to be close to impossible. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's definitely impossible because it's, it's hard for, for us to predict, but take, for example, you, you know, you have, um, these chess computers that you can play chess against. And even though I consider myself to be a, a quite an all right chess player, if I play against the, even the intermediate AI or the advanced AI, I'm gonna lose more games than I win. But if it comes to say, oh, you know, being able to make sense of the emotions that are surrounding a chess match, the AI is not gonna have an advantage over me when it comes to that. Now, and the, the thing about computers and AI is that they think very discreetly. Um, you know, it's all, to put it simply, it's all zeros and ones. You know, there's no, there's nothing in between. And what, what I'm trying to say over here is that, like um, Caleb said earlier on, when you when you have an AI, you're going to, uh, it, it, it's going to act according to the uh, parameters that you provided with, right? And if we come to talk about, you know, a hundred year plan or a five year plan or one year plan for that matter, and you say that, okay, I'm going to do things. I'm going to, I'm going to get this AI to benefit society as a whole, right? You're going to have to set so many, um, parameters, specifically ethical parameters that it, it's going to be sort of impossible for the AI to even compute all the factors that you want to include, you know, does that make sense of uh, like what I'm saying?
mean, yeah, but, you know, it's just so hard to say at this point in time. You know, what is feasible to compute and what is not, right? How do you reduce reality to a state where it is possible for your robot to compute um, new complex decisions like that? You know? Because, I mean, I mean, what you can do and what they're going to do is try to uh, increase the potential of the technology. But you can also decrease the complexity of the issue by controlling people, right? Uh, you know, like what, like we've talked about before. That's literally what it happens in society. That's that's how the system works. That's why there are speed limits. You know, that's why. Uh, you know, we we see we see being controlled for efficiency as something which is sort of extreme and and sci-fi, but in reality, it is a mainstay of human existence within capitalism, right? Um, and both of you made excellent points about sort of the feasibility of of these huge computations and you know how people are going to accept that and how people are going to use that um, but there's also the aspects of artificial intelligence that people are presumably not going to have any control over why if we, if we consider something like um, you know the implications for the workforce you know, I always see people saying, or the media saying, that the implications of artificial intelligence are for, like, the lower class, or, like, for the working class, you know? Like, they're, we're going to replace the truck drivers and the factory workers with artificial intelligence. Um, and, you know, to some extent, it, it makes sense as a conclusion, right? Because these are sort of, like, these, these simple tasks that we would assume robots can do, um sort of the easiest but but simplicity for humans and simplicity for computers is not the same right and if you consider you know these corporations when they start using AI it's only when AI becomes cost-effective which is to say it's only when AI becomes profitable to use and is it profitable to replace the janitor at your building that you pay minimum wage with a million dollar robot? No. Doesn't make any sense. When is it profitable to buy a million dollar robot? Oh, well, it's when you can replace your team of 20 programmers, right? That all, all earn six figures a year. Oh, well, now, now, now you're saving two, you know, you're, now you're saving a million dollars by buying this robot. And, whoa, the, actually, we realize this robot is way better at programming than any of the human programmers because it's a computer. And in fact, we don't even need the entire company full of programmers. We just need this one robot to do all the programming for us. And then, you know, what happens to the middle class? <laughs> what happens to the middle class? Legitimately. You can still get a job working, you know, you can be a janitor. You can work in a factory, you can do these sort of menial tasks that don't earn you money, or enough money, but then what happens to all of the jobs of the middle class, the ones that earn maybe six figures? You know, these, these, all these programming jobs, these managerial jobs, where these people who are sort of better at managing efficiency of society 
they're gonna get phased out by computers. And when does that, you know, and, and, and if corporations are allowed the freedom to pursue profit, per se capitalism, then, you know, what happens to this, huma- this huge portion of society? Right? It disappears overnight. Um, and then it doesn't really matter whether you believe in AI, whether you accept AI. It doesn't even, you don't even really need AI to be, you know, capable of, 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 you know, making these huge computations. All AI has to do is do one job. And then suddenly, you know, suddenly no one has work anymore. And nobody had, you know, nobody had anything to say about it. Um, you know, and, and you sort of, I think it's really hard to look at our current society and, and, and look at a society which class structure is so fundamentally different, you know, in these sort of sci-fi realities. But it's not that inconceivable, right, to have a portion of society that is incredibly rich and powerful and the rest of society which isn't because it has because it has no stake in the the means of production it has no stake in the technology that rules and governs society i think kind of going to your point of the you know the janitor would not be replaced by the million dollar robot I mean, that's true, but I think also on top of that is that if you are replacing a a team of programmers, then you can save costs on having a building. And if you don't have to have a building, then you don't have a janitor. So it's like, if we're going, if this is the acceleration, if this is the trajectory in which we're going, you know, no job is safe. You know, it's not going to be only the, the, the people are the lower and it's not going to be only the middle class. It's not only going to be these technical position. Just no job is safe. Um, and that's not a result of the quote, quote, you know, the quote unquote free market, just like, well, you know, free market decides that these people are not useful or not efficient. Um, it's very much a calculated effort by these businesses and entities like like Caleb was describing. Um, and as much as people look at the fiction writers uh, and they, they marvel at the kind of world building they do, right? They say, well, the world is so rich and specific and they have these intricacies and all these things. This is exactly what the these corporations, these entities um, are doing, you know? it's much slower because you have to make it a reality, but they're just world building. You know, they're, they're looking at, oh, well, we're company X. We want to expand into X, Y, and Z sectors. All right, let's just do it. You know, they don't have to really have a consideration of, well, is it super ethical or, or whatnot? Because we're at a point where, I mean, it's very obvious. You can see from from the way that tech companies deal with uh, 
with ethics and with like the government um, and legality is that you do the thing first and then if it's illegal it, you know it'll turn out however um, but most often than not even if it is illegal it'll still be okay under X Y and Z parameter or it'll just be okay because you've lobbied enough to have your way or it's okay because you've made a deal with the government um, and you're able to mutually benefit each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe we've only sort of breached the surface of the subject. Um, but, you know, maybe to even keep the conversation going, you know, um, what happens when you introduce space travel to the mix? <laughs> right? We have these huge implications for society, but what happens when you can leave the society? You know? Like, that's the whole purpose, right? Of, of the, the, all these inquiries into whether space travel and space colonization is possible. It's because, you know, the rich and powerful are looking into the future, you know, which very few people seem to be doing right now. They're looking into the future and they're saying the resources of Earth are finite. So we want to leave, right? And what happens when it is possible to leave Earth? When, when the resources of Earth are running out and it is possible to leave Earth, who do you think is going to leave? Or, or rather, who is going to get to leave, right? Um, especially in an instance where the middle class has sort of ceased to exist because of the replacement of the workforce by artificial intelligence. Right? There's going to be a new middle class and it's going to be whoever leaves Earth. <laughs> right? I, I don't see any other way around it. There's going to be work and the only work is going to be when we decide to put humans on other planets. And that's the only purpose we're going to have for humans. Right? What else? What else do we need humans for? If artificial intelligence can do everything, we need them to represent humanity when we leave Earth, right? And then already we have achieved this, you know, like the the worlds of science fiction, right? Already we have it because on Earth, what do we have? But we have the rich and we have the poor, and we have no one else, you know. You have the employees of the big space firms um, who, who go far away from Earth. Um, and, and, and we have the reduction of Earth from how it is now to a very nice place to, you know, artificial intelligence told us that we need to maximize the resources of this planet and actually we don't need all of these um, we don't need all of these uh, trees and forests and oceans and mountains uh, because we can replicate those resources artificially um, because we have the, the all-knowing all power of artificial intelligence. We can replicate them artificially. We can make everyone happy by, you know, keeping zoos and parks. Um, everyone will have their sort of hiking trails. You can get in VR and experience the Earth as it used to be 20 years ago. Um, and we're going to, you know, rape the Earth for its resources. Uh, because we need that so we can go explore Mars. 
you know, isn't isn't this the isn't this the future is, that is sitting on our doorstep? This is not extreme. It's not fiction, right? This is highly conceivable. It's highly reasonable. Um, and to some extent, many aspects of it are unavoidable, right? Even if people do not accept artificial intelligence, there's going there's so much money in artificial intelligence. You can't no, you can't stop artificial intelligence, right? You you can't you can't legislate people away from from creating artificial intelligence, or rather, it would never happen, right? And our only sort of defense from a this sort of crazy dystopian reality, you know, reality of a future is the integrity of our leadership <laughs> which doesn't really bode well for a current uh, for a current course heading right <laughs> um, do you, I, I mean do you guys have anything to say about space exploration it's sort of a step into the the unknown and the speculative but I guess that that was the whole point of this episode I think I absolutely agree with what Caleb was describing in terms of um, you know, what's going to happen to people once space exploration, space colonization becomes uh, a reality. Um, but what really interests me is that it, right before we kind of cross that line in terms of ability to colonize other planets or moons or whatever. Um, the technology that we will have at that point, you know, right before the, the colonization, is going to be so powerful and flexible and practical. And depending on what entities have that power, if it's private, if it's, you know, quote unquote public, like a government, um, this is when we can see a kind of new world war starting or not starting, but there's a potential for that because, um, as everyone knows, you know, in 20th century, we have this whole nuclear arms race, we have an armistice, and now we have this whole, uh, movement towards denuclearizing governments right so people are not willing to nuke each other uh that's kind of where we're at right now but everyone still has or not everyone but you know these major powers still have these warheads so um in, in a sense we are just at the will of the leadership of these countries these entities to not fire these warheads and if you have a an organization, private organization or even public, uh, who wants to engage in that kind of warfare, then you know it's just going to be mutually assured destruction. So applying that sort of logic to space exploration and colonization, before we get to that point, we will have technology um, that will surveil, that has incredible military application in terms of our planet on earth like right now we're already doing drone strikes we already have crazy efficient surveillance um but think about how 
evolved all of that will get to right before space colonization because i personally think right before space colonization we're not going to go you know like humanity is not going to go and try to colonize a planet or uh, someplace in the solar system without sending surveys right like just recently we sent out the perseverance nasa sent out sent out the perseverance um mars robot right so we are already surveying the land right and in order to effectively colonize an area we're going to have to survey the planet or whatever at a high efficiency which means probably it's not going to be human based right like not humans are not going to go over there and do it themselves like walk the land it's going to be robots right it's going to be satellites so then you take that kind of application you apply it to here on earth what is that going to look like the ability to kind of know like we already it's already crazy what it is right now but if you kind of just like have exponents on, on top of exponents like how crazy will that be for earth at that point and if let's say a private entity a terrorist organization um is able to develop that kind of weaponry or is even able to usurp let's say a government's ability to tap into all of that what are we gonna you know what is the future gonna look like for us are we gonna have a kind of standoff cold war-esque era where everyone has the ability to kind of like annihilate utterly annihilate each other but then no one is doing it because right now we have these scary quote unquote scary um organizations groups like north korea or some of these terrorist organizations who have claimed to have nuclear warheads right but they're not they don't see it in their interest to 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 fire them off to detonate them but what happens if they do right and people it's very evident people are not afraid of weaponizing ai so the question of weaponizing and applying ai and these kind of like proto space surveying exploration things it's not a question people are already doing it it's almost encouraged right like we are not trying to say have an agreement with china okay no international space station no rockets it's too dangerous we're just stop no we're not this is not the discussion the discussion is that that kind of effort that kind of um, progression is beneficial is what is conceived as progress right so if people are willing to weaponize it and it's if anything the default that's your intuition is if we have that capability it's not a question of whether or not we are going to use it it's when we're going to use it then what kind of ramifications will that have for people on earth or will that all fallout happen right when all of these you know ultra rich people leave earth right because then you have people trying to scramble for the scraps just kind of my two cents on that 
yeah um a real a lot of you know very serious possibilities um you know serious in both a concerning in both uh, you know in, in the feasible sense um yeah and look uh our point today is really not to say like you know it's not to say that technology is bad or there's or that there's anything that anyone can do about the the continued progress of technology you know i really don't you know that's that's not the point right i don't think that either any of us would would say that that's the point right and and that's really part of the reason why i've kept returning to this idea that you know there's not a whole lot we can do to avoid the rich and the powerful of society ending up with even more rich and power within you know this kind of scenario that these scenarios that we've been considering in this episode right um there's not a whole lot that you can do about that um and that's why it's so important that these people who end up with the power in society or end up with all of the wealth or or the the means in society there's a whole lot resting on the integrity of these people and what their visions of the future are for humanity um and i think that people are just complacent the people just do not think about stuff like this and part of the reason is because they cannot conceive of a reality so different from what we currently experience but our whole point is that this all of this stuff that we talked about is not going to happen in a thousand years or a hundred years but within decades we're going to see this within our lifetimes right uh, you know and if all three of us are just dead wrong you're going to get to see that too and you know all good for you right but you know if you're our age you're in your early 20s then you may not understand how quickly the world has changed since world war 2 or even before that since world war 1 right like the amount of change that our parents have seen since between you know when they grew up and now is so incredible um and we can only expect that rate of change to increase um as we you know go from our our education into our professional lives right and again it's so important that the people we give power to or allow to have power right it's so important that these people be of quality that we have a culture and society um and 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 a ruling class that isn't going to absolutely destroy the general populace in the favor of their benefit right and it is possible for us to cultivate this culture of like it's not acceptable for a few people to own the rest of the world we can establish you know a a a 
you know, a way of thought which is prevailing across society in which even the rich understand that that is not the vision of humanity that they want. But you have to, you have to do stuff. You have to actively participate in achieving that reality. And if you don't, then, you know, it's highly possible that the things that we've discussed today are more than possible, more than feasible, but inevitable, right? Maybe not all of them, but at least some, right? Um, so we are sort of running out of time today. I have to say that, you know, as serious as what we con consider is, I had a ton of fun because, you know, when else do you get to talk about the subjugation of humanity and Final Fantasy VII and nuclear fallout all in sort of the same conversation? Um, do you guys have anything to add? No, I think I'm good. Um, Yash? Nah, man. Um, nothing to add, but just I just want to say that, yeah, I also had a lot of fun doing this episode. And it's, it's really nice to just sit down once in a while and consider the implications of all these things that we we are aware of and um, you know we we know it exists but we we don't really consider how it's going to affect us in the future. But yeah, it's it was it was a good episode and I think possibly in the future we should consider doing an episode on why on how bad of a game Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is. But um, yeah, there's nothing else for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, you know, if you as the listener, you know, you're sitting there and you're just thinking, you know, the three of us, we're just, you know, psychotic, we're just insane, um, you know, we're lost in our heads, then, you know, maybe, as possible, you know, I guess time will tell, uh, but, you know, minimally, at least hope that, you know, you got to sort of exercise your imagination, exercise your, your, you know, your thinking and that maybe you had some fun uh you know listening to what we had to bring to you today um uh the podcast is doing great um i'm you know i, I looked at the view the the listenership for the last the last episode and i was pleasantly surprised um by sort of how many people are listening um i really hope that you guys continue to listen continue to enjoy um, again, you know, we do our best to produce these episodes sort of as often as possible, but um, we are sort of working around our schedules here, you know, and one of us is in a, you know, completely different country, and we do have to deal with that also. <laughs> uh, we, we are using a, a new recording software this time, because we sort of ran into technical issues with what we were trying to do before, um, and so... I I need to obviously I need to go and listen to the recording myself when I when I do my editing but um, we'll we'll see what the quality is like for this if it's absolutely terrible um, I apologize um, not a whole lot I can do about it um, we you know maybe we'll look for alternatives but there's not a whole lot of stuff that isn't literally extorting people for money so you know um, if you've listened to this entire thing thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Jonathan and Yash, for joining me today. 
Yep. Always uh, have to be on. Uh, thank you for having us, man. And I guess we'll see you in the next one.